This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, February 21st, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. H.L. Mencken had a complicated relationship with religion. He skewered religious pieties and famously despised some high-profile religious figures, but he took religion and religious people seriously. E.G. Hart is author of Damning Words, The Life and Religious Times of H.L. Mencken. We spoke earlier this month. Um, At one point in your book, you describe... Uh, Mencken's naysaying as uh, one part village atheist and one part town drunk. Uh, Could you expand on that a little bit? Well, his objections to Christianity particularly, since that's what the book is is mainly about, um, are the kind of um, criticisms that you would find in 19th century skeptics of from the Robert Ingersoll variety or Mark Twain variety um, but then he did it with a kind of flair, um, a, a kind of swagger that I guess that's what I was trying to capture with the, uh, t- the drunk analogy. Um, and, but in depending on the degree of his, his, um, his drunkenness, it could, it could have a, it had a charm to it. I think, uh, I mean, the, my sense is that the the Christian readers of Mencken just never really came around to having much regard for him because he was just too irreverent and um, too skeptical. Obviously, he had a following, especially in the 20s, among uh, secularists of various kinds, but I think probably even some um, sort of nominal Protestants of a kind. Um, which I think is really unfortunate that that the serious believers didn't try to engage him more, and it, it's the style that prevented that from happening. And it was it was a uh, it was an abrupt change of style. It was a sort of style that wasn't even well received in literary circles. I mean, he was uh, engaged in literary criticism that the academics, uh, whether at Harvard or uh, at University of Illinois, you just didn't do literary criticism that way, and and um, it cut down in some ways on on Mencken's um, engagement by serious people, but it also gave him a much wider audience. Now, when you talk about his audience, it's it's worth noting, as you do in your book, that uh, Mencken was one of the early earliest, perhaps, uh, writers of signed editorials. And what what difference did that make? The the short answer would be I'm not entirely sure other than that the, the standards of journalism were such that they just they just didn't sign them. But I think he injected a kind of um, his own personal style outlook into those editorials that made it possible to 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 uh, cross that divide and and then for him to gain a following by virtue of this is the guy that we want to read. So uh, Teachout really makes the point uh, well, I think, in his biography, Terry Teachout, that um, Mencken really does create the style of the op-ed page in a way. I mean, he's one of the – he's not the only one doing it, but he he's the one who gets it up and going and, and then actually makes it a nationally syndicated thing. One of his early targets – uh, was G.K. Chesterton. Who was that and why was uh, Mencken so enamored of being critical of him? Well, um, Chesterton was an English writer um, uh, who wrote a variety of things. Um, I guess uh, some um, crime novels, I guess. Uh, I'm not real f- 
as familiar with all of Chesterton's corpus. He eventually became known, though, as, as a defender of Christianity. He converted from a kind of nominal Anglicanism to Roman Catholicism. He was also a journalist, so he was treading on, on Mencken's uh, territory a little bit there. And I guess he also engaged in a bit of literary criticism. And um, Chesterton didn't register large on um, Mencken's radar, but early on, when Mencken started writing literary criticism book reviews, Chesterton was one of, Chesterton was one of the figures that he, he took on. And um, I think there was, as, it, as was often the case with many of his criticisms of Christian writers, it was a combination of one, the theology or the teaching of Christianity was beyond belief, um, which I think is actually a, a, a point that Christians themselves need to take seriously. Um, we can maybe return to that. But so Christianity itself was beyond belief, but also Christianity encouraged a kind of moralism that really infringed on Mencken's what Mencken, the way Mencken liked to live. Um, prohibition was coming in the United States. And I'm not in any way suggesting Chesterton was behind that, but Mencken saw in many Christian writers, among them Chesterton, a kind of moralism, also in literary in the literary world, that he didn't like and he thought was holding uh, the United States back and preventing people like him from uh, either climbing the ranks or enjoying uh, uh the kind of prominence that he wanted. Uh, he also, uh, Mencken also singled out both Woodrow Wilson and Prohibition. With respect to Wilson, what was uh, his criticism? Presumably war played a role, right. high taxes played a role, but there was a, a certain moralism to Woodrow Wilson's tenure as well. Yes. I, I mean, Mencken's... Um criticisms of the progressives are really quite stunning, actually. Um, and he, he winds up adopting political um, views much more akin to a state's rights position, uh, you know, which can, I guess, dovetail, depending on how you want to slice libertarianism, can, can dovetail with that. Very much, though, on the side of limited government, what the Constitution was meant to do, what the, the kind of uh, integrity and autonomy the states were designed to have. So, so there's all that that, that made uh, Mencken suspicious of the progressives. But when you throw into that then the, the war and the scale of the war and the justifications for it very much on an on a idealistic or moralistic grounds and then add to that as well, Mencken's, Mencken was German-American. And the way that many people have come to understand that was that he was loosely German-American. His father and grandfather were not necessarily part of the German-American community in Baltimore. They, in some ways, thought of themselves as a better better kind of German-American than the immigrants living in Baltimore, and they liked to separate themselves. So even when Mencken was baptized as a child as part of the convention of the family, he was baptized in an Anglican or Episcopalian church, not in a Lutheran church. But I, I th over time, as he began to make his way in literary circles and he saw the dominance of New England and associated that with Puritanism and associated that with English Protestantism, um, he 
And then he he did an early book, one of the first Eng- books in English on Friedrich Nietzsche. I think he he came later to a kind of German sensibility and identification with that side of his past, so that when it ca- came to a war between uh, England or Great Britain and Germany, Mencken took the side much more of Germany, and even wrote a really important piece in 1916, published in the Atlantic Monthly Magazine of all places. You can't get much more waspy than that, very much defending the Kaiser in a way. So uh, Wilson represents, in some ways, a turning point for Mencken's own sense of his Germanness in relation to American identity. All right. So the other great progressive project, uh, Prohibition, um, he was – was he always a critic? Yes. Uh, he's, he's writing reviews about – of books in the, in the aughts and the teens, uh, books sort of making the case why alcohol scientifically is so destructive, et cetera. And he's um, – he – thinks it's thinly veiled moralism. So he's very much on the, on the lookout for that. Um, but he's also inveterately opposed to the moralism that was even in some of the sex education materials coming out there. Um, and Mencken was not approved, but he just thought that this was taking something that was actually kind of mystical um, or much more human, and, and, and you couldn't compartmentalize it in scientific categories the way the sex ed people tried to. So um, he was on the lookout for that, those sorts of arguments well before Prohibition. But um, if among historical figures with whom I'd like to have a meal, Mencken would be one of them, but it, it wouldn't be the same kind of meal without beer or wine or whiskey or something. And um, I mean, one of the charming aspects of, of Mencken's life was uh, he participated in something called the Saturday Night Club, which was a group of uh, some a few professional musicians and mainly amateur. Mencken played the piano and they and they played symphonic music in someone's home, but they regularly took breaks and consumed large quantities of beer and and, and large quantities of food and had a rollicking, rollicking good time. Um, and since it seems to me alcohol contributes to that, of obviously in, in excess it can do damaging things. But um, but so Mencken uh, really just enjoyed, I think, life and, and alcohol was part of it. You mentioned uh, sex education and Mencken's criticism of, of how it had been presented. It, I think a lot of people could be forgiven for thinking that Mencken was not a romantic uh, based on based on sort of the, the hard-nosed uh, views that he had. Uh, he was very critical of married men in particular. Right. But he was a romantic. He was. In fact, <clears throat> he married late in life. He had many jokes about how when you turn 50, you're, you become more susceptible to marriage. Um, he had a number of affairs. Um, and the woman who he married, Sarah Hart, was um, a tragic case. She had tuberculosis. They knew it when they married, that, and they, they only gave her two years. They, she wound up living five years, and it was um, a great loss when she finally died. But I, I mean, I think Mencken liked to posture himself as someone who was hard-nosed, skeptical, could not be wooed in a way. Um, but on the other hand, there is a sensitive side to him, and which is one of the things that I 
wanted to bring out in this book on religion um, that Mencken was actually much more um, interested in and sympathetic, empathetic at least, to religion, romance, and other things that we don't associate with him because he has this iconoclastic reputation as someone who has no time for, again, romance or or religion. But he, he did. Another example of this, aside from his own marriage, is um, toward the end of his writing career, he started, and this is in the Library of America uh, series, his his Days trilogy, his memoirs about growing up. So there's Happy Days about his youth, Newspaper Days about his uh, newspaper career, and then uh, Heathen Days about the rest of his career. And in his in those uh, memoirs, there's a really delicate side to the way he remembers parts of his life, especially in Happy Days. His chapters on growing up in Baltimore have a have a magical side to them that shows a, a man, at least later in life, but chances are as a boy as well, who was alert to a number of of the um, the 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 things in life that you fall in love with. So he was not immune to those sorts of um, feelings, but again prided himself, I think, on on posing as someone who who was not uh, could not be caught up in that. Uh, one of the most uh, sort of iconic events that has been captured and retold in, in plays and movies about that that contains Mencken was the trial of John T. Scopes in Dayton, Tennessee, the so-called Scopes Monkey Trial. And uh, I like to point out to people I know that um, this was a moment where the national broadcast of an event – uh, where we would think of maybe like the Clarence Thomas hearings or uh, O.J. Simpson driving a white Ford Bronco across America. The Scopes Monkey Trial was that kind of event. And uh, Mencken was front and center, in fact, played uh, played a key part in, in that, in detailing and chronicling that event. Can you describe sort of his attitude going in and his thoughts about, in particular, William Jennings Bryan and the sort of moralism of states that were trying to uh, prohibit evolutionary education in public schools? Right. Uh, it, it is It is an iconic moment, both um, in some ways in American history, but also in Mencken's life. It, the, the movie Inherit the Wind that came out in 1960 features a character played by, um, uh, shoot, the, the actor's name is escaping me right now, but the, the character's name is E.F. Hornbick, I believe, and it's very much based on on Mencken, and, and that's how Americans probably remember Mencken most, if they remember him at all. And he was, um, he helped to organize the defense of Scopes. Uh, he cooperated with Clarence Darrow and talked to ACLU people back then. Um, so he was very much on the side of science against religion. Um, he also had a lifelong uh, opposition to William Jennings Bryan, who he just didn't care for that kind of populism. This, these were common people. He considered himself uh, a, a better person than that. So there was a kind of class hierarchy distinction going on. And throw on top of that, Mencken, excuse me, Bryan's moralism. There were other other reasons why um, Mencken didn't like Bryan. I also wondered if maybe. Mencken was jealous of Brian's popularity. I don't, 
as popular as Mencken was, I'm not sure that he still had the readers or fans that, that Brian did. So he, he, he was there. He was helped planning the, tr- the defense of the trial. He went down and, and gave extensive coverage. But also, if you read his pieces about the trial, but also his, his, um, his reporting about backwoods country, the, the, the kind of revival meetings he would go out and observe – Again, Mencken had a had a power of observation about human endeavors that was not simply critical, but he was fascinated by what he called the show of American life, and and he reported on that show very well. It wasn't simply dismissive; it was the descriptions can actually be pretty captivating. But anyway, having said all that, Mencken was very much bound up with the trial for good reason. And then five days after the trial, when William Jennings Bryan dies. Um, Mencken writes an obituary essay that is, I think, the most vicious thing he read. And it's hard, it's hard to read it and not wince. And it's hard to read it and not find it. There's very little humor in it. And usually, even when Mencken is at his best, there's there at least a little line here and there that lets you know he's having some fun. But this was pretty, pretty darn vindictive. Um, so uh, for a variety of reasons, Brian's progressivism, his religion, his going after what was so obviously science and not religion, and the idea of even teaching Genesis in a science classroom in high school is pretty bizarre, and and Mencken had probably pretty good reasons for thinking that, but um, he couldn't contain himself in a way. What were some of the last things that Mencken wrote about religion? You said that he married late in life, and... uh found himself uh, being one of those uh, older men who was more susceptible to marriage. But what were, what were some of the last things he wrote about uh, people of faith? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good question um, be, because probably what, what he wrote most at the end of his life were his, uh, his days trilogy, his memoirs. And I was, um, this is maybe six years before he has a massive stroke that in 1947, I believe, that that incapacitates him from reading or writing the rest of his life, which I, I cannot fathom how he lived a decade longer without being able to read or write. I mean, he could function in many ways, but he couldn't do that. Um, so his, his most sustained pieces of writing were the Days trilogies. And at the end of Heathen Days, he actually he comments on four different religious figures from from Charles Coughlin, the 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 priest who was an anti New Deal person, to I can't remember the other guys, but he he couldn't let religion alone. So he was writing about religion even then, but even in the first of the of the days trilogy, his Happy Days trilogy, he has a <laughs> very funny um, description of going to Sunday school. His father a lifelong agnostic, if not atheist, um, sent his two boys to a Methodist Sunday school in the neighborhood. And Mencken later discovered it was because his father wanted to get a nap. The boys were too rambunctious, so he let them go to the Methodist. They kept sending around people to get the boys to go to Sunday school. Um, and and Mencken's description of, of actually singing the gospel songs uh, is, is really very funny, but it's also 
empathetic in a way. And Mencken will refer to those songs later on any number of places. He'll throw out a line from one of those songs or a title from one of those songs. It wasn't as if he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And he couldn't stand having that as part of his experience. But it was just part of his being American acknowledging that. So I would say in those some of those chapters in his Days trilogy, he writes about his encounter with Sunday school or black revival preachers who were preaching on the street corners in Baltimore, or then uh, some of his encounters with religious people later on in his career. Um, And and that's where you find it. And again, it's, it's a mix of skepticism, humor, and empathy. It seems like we are in a in a similar time in a way uh, that there is this uh, strong strain of of moralism of wanting to impose a, a certain will on the public because we know best and you don't. And I I, I wonder often how somebody like H. L. Mencken would handle uh, a situation like as we face today. Ah, oh, that. That's uh, I, I, I think about that a lot, partly because I have to give other book talks here and there, and I'm, I'm gearing up to give the uh, the Mencken Day talk next year in Baltimore, or this year, later this year on Mencken Day. Um, and I, 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 my sense is that Mencken would be offensive to both the left and the right even today, because the right has its own moral uh, grid through which it runs a lot of its uh, discussions, but then the left especially now with the president as such as he is, I've never seen so much um, of an effort to recover decency in, in social life. Um, so I, what I, I mean, I think both sides engage in a kind of pretense. And I think Mencken was a really astute um, observer, had a real feel for when human beings were engaging in pretense. Um, and, and, and so raising standards higher than they need to be or posing yourself as a moral person as holier than now. Um, and again, I mean, not everyone reads making this way, but I sense a lot of self-deprecation in his own work and that he doesn't try to present himself as, as that. Um, so I, I, I think he would have so many targets out there, it's it's um, it's impossible to imagine that. And um, so I think he would continue continue to be making fun of America's. And I, but I also think he thought it was America's congenital um, default position to go back to a kind of moralistic outlook. D.G. Hart is author of Damning Words: The Life and Religious Times of H.L. Mencken. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.